welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where a bunch of friends get together from Philadelphia and talk about movies that they love. This month, we have been doing animated movies that we keep returning to. Um, and this episode, we're going to be talking about Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. But before we delve into that discussion, want to open it up to updates, life happenings. Um, well, I have a thing. Uh, so I think it's two weeks now, two weeks ago now. Um, so I was a guest star on um, the podcast I Like to Movie Movie uh, with Garrett Smith and uh, Dan Scully. And it was a very, very good time. They're really great. I know they gave us shout outs on the uh, social media things. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. It's a great episode, too. Yeah, it's it's good. We talk about uh, the night comes for us. I believe is the name. I keep getting confused with other night related titles. <laughs> the night of, uh, but it was a crazy fight movie, um, which was also like splatter movie. There's so much gross, like squishy blood gut what, stuff. What era? Uh, it just came out. It's a Netflix movie. Oh. Um, it's by, I, I don't know the director, but it's like the same crew that did the Raid movies, if you've heard of that before. They're this like stunt team that's really, really good um, and like highly regarded. Uh, apparently, they also were in Star Wars, is right? Yep, but they, they didn't were, really um, do anything. They were, um, <laughs> They boarded Han Solo's ship Sorry. in The Force Awakens and yes. did nothing. And sounds like right. a pivotal moment. And then the Wrath Cars ate them. Oh, um, sounds like my kind of life. Yeah, but it was good. And then we talked about our top fave uh, fight scenes. So, um, yeah, you should definitely listen in to that episode, but also just their podcast in general, because they're really good. And it's I Like To, Numeric To, Movie Movie. Um, yeah. And also... Uh, horror movie night went really well uh, the other week, too. Suspiria. Yeah, we did Suspiria. And besides some technical difficulties with wires or something, I don't know, uh, it ended up like being cool. Suspiria's a weird-ass movie. Um, Connor <laughs> had never seen it before. I've never seen it. Yep. It was weird. There were a lot of colors. There, it's very, very cool-looking. Um, yeah. So that's that's it for my I'm glad that's my main takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of color. many colors. <laughs> I mean, if you see it, you'll know that. I feel like that. if you have nothing else to say, you're like, the colors, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the tension, the like some of the kills were really gory. Um, mm -hmm. The plot was not the most important part of the movie. It was nope. kind of like the atmosphere, mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, definitely interesting to watch. Yeah, Dario Argento, he's really cool. I'm going to try to go see the remake uh, sometime soon, because that just came out also. Uh, but yeah, more importantly, we have like a, you know, a world kind of announcement that's yeah big well first of all tori i want to say thank you for you, my shout out that you did when you were on i like to movie movie mm -hmm. talking about me and my love of chris evans and also winter soldier mm -hmm. which kind of brings us back to the point here which yes. is the very sad and upsetting news that stanley has passed away at yeah. 95 years old good for him that's crazy yeah it's pretty insane um you know, I've been like grieving about this all day because the characters that he created have played such like pivotal points in my life. Like these characters that he made in part have made me who I am. And I, like in times of my life, I've relied on those comics to get me through. And so I, I honestly don't know like what kind of person or where I would be without those. Mm. So I'm really yeah. upsetting. And, and Tori actually sent this um, awesome 
is it like a quote? Where'd you find it? It was a recent video he did. I believe that is a transcript from a recent video that he made, um, which I think kind of just encapsulate like a lot of like what they're trying to do, which I thought was really cool and just like how how he is as a person. So, yeah. So if you guys don't mind, I'm going to read it. I probably will fuck it up. I'm so sorry, Stanley. <laughs> um, but it goes. Marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside her window. That world may change and may evolve, but one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. Which, hell yeah, that's exactly what Marvel has always been. Mm -hmm. I think, like, we can have some criticism of the MCU, so the, the Marvel movies. Yeah, I mean... Nothing is perfect. No, nothing is perfect. And and when it comes to diversity there, I think that they fell behind a little bit. But that's definitely not so with the comics. And I feel like I've learned so much from those. Like there's this one awesome panel. Um, I can't remember what comic it's in, but it's in a Captain America one where you see Captain America's mom, Sarah. She's getting hit and beat up by her husband. And like Steve is cowering under her table and she stands her ground. And eventually at the end of the scene, um, Sarah grabs Steve and says, um, like holds him by the, the face and says, no matter what, you always get up. And for so I, I that's always stayed with me. Mm. And it's because of Stanley that like I have something like that that can motivate me even when I feel really shitty and down. Yeah. What would you say is your uh, most favorite Marvel story or character? Oh, <laughs> I mean, is it Captain America? It is definitely okay. Captain yeah. America. I liked Captain America and Chris Evans independently and separately. So when they merged, it was the <laughs> best like, yes. moment Whoa. of my life. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It was good. Yeah. I'm happy we did that fight scene too. It just seems like appropriate that that's like been yeah. in my head. Yeah, and it's so funny. So, um, with our whiteboard question that we do at the end of the episode, Christine has a really great one. And my pick for it was Marvel related and is Marvel related before this news even came out. So mm. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, that. that's cool. Yeah. And then I saw uh, Thor Ragnarok last night and that was amazing. And then like saw Stan Lee and I guess it alludes to the fact that he is the person that cuts Thor's hair, which is really hilarious. Um, yeah. And so that was just a really great cameo. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, what are his cameos going to look like? Are they still going to do them? I know um, when they were filming, I think, like, Guardians 2 and Thor Ragnarok, they were filming around the same time. James Gunn said that he filmed, like, five of them in one day. Yeah, they did, like, a block of it. Yeah, they did, like, five and six, oh, five really? or six in one mm-hmm. day. Yeah, this is probably, like, That's two years ago that they kind of, like, oh, did like these chunks. Oh, like, he was just preparing? Mm-hmm, that they were of, planning, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Just in case, yeah. Aww. Well, because the one um, where he, um, was this... Ragnarok with the Watcher? No, that was the haircut. Wherever the um, like the Watchers, he's like on the moon. I can't remember what movie. On the moon. This was yeah, like or in, like in space where like the giant people with the big heads were talking to him. And he was like, I was a FedEx driver and I was this. Is that Doctor? Doctor Strange. Anyway, so that one like, I think they're gonna be like green screen, kind of like mostly. Mm. I don't know if I like that. No. Like just know. inserting him. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that they would Not have like. Fact a picture of him or like his name somewhere yeah. Ooh, like doing, subtle yeah, framed photos of him like, in the backs yeah. of scenes well i think that'll be interesting like how they find ways to like yeah tip their forward. cap and i like mm-hmm. would like to see people maybe do it in very different ways too like whoever directs yeah. like finds a cool way to have that in there so mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be interesting and i'm sure they'll do something like lovely and moving but yeah 
Yeah, like I assume he probably has cameos for Captain Marvel, Avengers Four, and probably some of the other ones coming up. Yeah. What a testament to longevity, though. I mean, like really, truly, it's very impressive working and being mm-hmm. a part of the universe he created till I know the very end. Well, what maybe like that's pretty um, big. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go for it. Um, at the end of um, Westworld season one, which is a show all about like artificial intelligence and like robots gaining consciousness, um, Anthony Hopkins' character Ford talks about how when Chopin died, you know, he didn't die; he just became music. And so that's what this kind of reminds me no. of Stan Lee of like he didn't die; he's just become, you know, in movie history and comics history, like, he still lives on and will live on probably as long as superhero <laughs> movies and comics keep making money. That's some and our people man. are still like inspired. By Ugh, that makes me feel weepy. I know. Mm. That's really good, though. I keep seeing also just pictures of him as a young man, which mm-hmm. I don't normally see. And it's very odd just to think of him like, oh, he used to be a young man. Like, I am so used to just seeing him as, as what he as what was. he is yeah. and what I assumed he would always be. Like, our friend Matt and I were just like in the, you know, hanging out. And I was like, yeah, like, this just happens to me because I know, like, I just kind of assumed he would always just be there, you know? Like, that would always just be a figure that we saw a lot. The thing is, is that, just like Connor said, I think he always will be. Yeah. Like, as long as these characters still remain. I mean, (laughs) God, I was such, like, a stupid-ass kid that when I was, like, 14 or 15 in biology, I remember asking my professor, where is adamantium on the periodic table? And he was like, I don't know where that is. My friend Becca turned to me and she was like, that's a made up element in X-Men. And I was like, but I was so into the universe oh, that I pure, really Sam. Thought, <laughs> I know, but it, I mean, it just goes to show you like how meaningful these yeah. comics well, have always been. Well, and at, um, this was right after Black Panther came out at work. I had a kid ask me, well, where's Wakanda on this right. chart? Right. Oh, I know. Um, that was like right after Black Panther came out. This was a Philly school district. And so it was like. Um, you know, these characters are still extremely relevant. And I think the movies mm-hmm. are a huge part of why, you know, this resurgence yeah. of, you know, Marvel properties. Well, beautiful memories of Stanley. He will live in everyone's hearts. Um, and I think this actually is a great uh, thing to continue talking about. It's like, how do comics, movies that we build really strong relationships with, like, as children or like as we're growing up how like how do those kind of stay with us I feel like we've kind of touched on this a lot with our theme of the month Mm -hmm. with animated movies that we we watched and uh, like certainly Connor's Coco came out like several years ago uh but still the the developing relationships that we have with like great powerful stories it's also kind of cool with these like newer ones to think of like like, some of the really, really powerful ones that, like, oh, these are what, like, kids right now. Yeah. Mm. These like, are I like, think Coco is one yeah. of those. Oh, and, yeah. And there are, I think many of them are very good at having these, like, larger messages that are super yeah. important. And it's just kind of cool to think, like, yeah, like, this is some solid stuff that, like, kids right now are growing up on. Like, this is, like, my sister, Sophia. Like, she is growing up on some of this stuff. And that's just kind of cool to think about. Yeah, my stepbrother is, like, 13 years old. And he bought with his own money that he made from raking leaves, a copy of a Avengers Infinity War on Blu-ray, but like they don't have a Blu-ray player, but he like wanted to own it. Cause this is like him and his friends, like their like, like huge movie of their like young, like middle yeah. school lot. It's a big deal. Oh, it's making me feel so many. <laughs> I'm feeling emotions. God damn it. Fuck. Just push that shit down. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, so 
this uh, this week's episode, we're doing uh, we're going to be talking about a movie that I returned to many many times as a child. As I said, Little Nemo: Adventures in Slumberland. Um, but what is kind of interesting is returning back to it, not having watched it in 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 years, um, being sort of confronted with this interesting tension about a movie that. I loved so much as a kid, uh, and then rewatching it and having sort of a new reading, a new understanding it, of it, but still being tied to the really intense sort of visceral experience of, of watching this movie that I know so, so well. Um, and so just to kind of give a brief overview of Little Nemo. So this was a 1989 uh, Japanese-American co-production, uh, and it was just basically, it was based on a, a cartoon of Windsor McKay, who was a very prominent cartoonist in the 19-teens. And then it was recreated as this animated movie uh, by the 1980s. And it's essentially just what this kid Nemo, uh, living around the turn of the century, 19-teens, uh, dreams about go. He experiences these actions through dreams. He goes to Slumberland. The king of Slumberland, King Morpheus, gets captured and taken away by this nightmare goop. And it's up to Nemo <laughs> to save the day yep. and go to Nightmare Land to save the king. So, Does Nightmare Goop have a name? Uh, so, the uh, Nightmare King. It's oh, sort yeah. of this, so no, we'll the Nightmare Goop <laughs> is sort of this, like, <laughs> manifestation yeah. of, yes, actually, yeah, that's the funny. Goop death looks like, kind <laughs> of like, Hexus going on. So definitely see some crossovers. Yeah, these um, kind of, like, weird, amorphous, just very dark characters. Yes. Yeah. We thought Infinity War was the greatest crossover ever, but it's really Fern Gully. Fern Gully, <laughs> Little Nemo. Um, and so... Before I turn it over to the folks that read the reviews and watched the trailer, some questions that I really was thinking about um, f to discuss today was how do children uniquely experience movies? Uh, and then what is it really like to experience or to rewatch a movie that you loved as a child um, and tap into that, the emotional feeling of watching it as a child, but also understand or like have some new understandings and new sort of readings of a movie. Uh, and then ultimately, what is the responsibility of filmmakers uh, in making children's movies? Um, if, yeah, depending on the ways that children experience these movies. So I want to throw it over to... The trailer. Sam. Yeah, yes. me. Who watched the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so my first thought as we were watching this was like, oh, wow, this feels like the trailer that would be like right before, like on a VHS, right before the movie I'm trying to get to. I know. You're like, can I, I just get through this? Can I just get through? They just have this like certain tone to it that you yeah. always had on your VHSs. From the Disney vault. Yeah, Returning. Uh -huh. Like, it's definitely not a movie I think that I would have been interested in watching. Because when I was younger, I, like, never wanted to watch something starring, like, a young boy. I never wanted to watch that. And I, I think that I, I, I hardly did. Because boys have cooties. Yeah. 
fact. Basically. True. But it's just like I couldn't relate to that, you know? So, um, you know, representation matters. But um, as we were watching it, I was like, oh, you know, as an adult, this looks like batshit bananas. But I do kind of want to watch it um, based on what we saw, mostly because I'm like, how does transportation work on this bed? So Nemo, I can imagine. Oh, Oh, it works. So you want like the mechanics of the bed. Yeah, I would love that too. Well, first question, how often did people name their children Nemo, right? I mean... Well, you've got Captain Nemo. Right. Finding uh, Nemo. Fi- got yeah. Finding most important. Nemo. Someone are you? So, I mean... That would <laughs> be the, the end of it. Okay. Everyone. Too nautical. Yeah. Yeah, too, yeah. yeah weirdly. Yeah. Well, well, this one had some, like, bed water stuff going on, too. Mm. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I guess that's what? something for us to talk about also is that um, the first trailer we saw was for the actual movie, which still made me have the questions of who names their child Nemo? Like, how often does that happen? Second, like, how does the bed flying mechanics work? And then also, like, what is it about pajamas that are so threatening? Because in it, the, the, the evil goop monster or whatever the hell it is, is like, pajamas? Ooh, pajamas do scare me. <laughs> what is that? Christine, you sound like the dude who sings Monster Mash. <laughs> Ooh, it's the Monster Mash. And the sequel. <laughs> Monster Holiday. Oh. Yes. You remember? Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. Um, but, so then Christine told us that there was another pilot version. And that trailer, or I don't even know if it was a trailer. It was just like the beginning sequence of the film. Test footage. Yeah. Test footage mm-hmm. was incredible. Like just yeah. the the just for the artistry, it was unbelievable. Um, again, bed flying. So I still have the same question. Still wondering about Nemo, but ultimately, both I want to watch. Both I want to watch. So there were three pilots to this movie. The first one we watched, which uh, was done by Hayao Miyazaki of Ghibli Productions. The second one, I don't know who who did the second one, but then the third, like, the third iteration of it was ultimately what uh, you all okay. watched. Um, and it was a very long production process. Ideas that were scrapped. Miyazaki was like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be a pol- mm-hmm. part of this. Um, and watching that pilot is like, ooh, this is what it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> Remarkable, yeah. Um, so I'll pass it over to Tori, who read the reviews, um, and kind of get a s- yeah. sense of... Which also, Sam and I have not watched it. So we're... Right. Okay, yeah. Um, Dave, have you seen it? I have seen it. Okay. Not in, not in uh, quite a few years, but I do remember... The experience of it, yeah. mostly, yeah. I definitely remember it was, like, a thing I heard about, and it was, like, a name I knew, but, you know. Also, I kept fucking up and calling it, like, Finding Nemo and other things, too, because I was like, there are two Nemo movies, so, of course, my brain, like, doesn't know how to function. Um, <laughs> Nemo can't compute. <laughs> you just add, like, one complication of a brain's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you heard me trying to figure out the name for the dark movie, like, huh? <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, reviews were interesting and there were, there were some like common threads I noticed with people that I definitely want to get into. Uh, the first, uh, thing that I pulled up was, um, Ebert's, uh, review of Mm. it, which came up. So it was like right as it was coming out, which was interesting. And he said things that I noticed a lot of other people saying also. Imagine Um, that. Huh? Imagine that with Roger Ebert. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, so he gave it two out of four stars, I believe. Um, and mostly his takeaway was like, the visuals are great. Like, it looks beautiful. Um, like, they thought that the animation was really well done. 
Um, but he also said he thought it was like lacking like an actual story, um, which was also interesting. Um, and then like once I go through some of these other ones, it's kind of similar. But one idea he brought into it, which oh, even just for the time, I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool that he is asking these like questions and stuff, um, was basically talking about these movies falling into a trap where the villains are always portrayed as dark mm-hmm. and Ooh. the uh, the protagonist is always lighter and, you know, mostly white. Uh, so it was interesting that that was something that he immediately pointed out with this and talked about the trend of it also. Um, so I can't wait for that to be like something that comes up. I'm so happy you brought that because I also brought oh, that Roger Ebert Hell yeah. statement Ooh, like about level. the approach yeah. to the character fl- of Flip. Yeah. yeah, so I would I'm love to return to right now. back <laughs> to that. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, so that was that was like the main like big review that I read. Um, and then I went to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which uh, viewers gave it an 84%, which seems on par because a lot of the view- reviews I was reading just seemed like people who loved it as a kid and were nostalgic for it. And so it seems like a lot of people like do have this nostalgia where they love it because they grew up with it. And pretty much everyone was saying, yes, it looks beautiful. Um, but people mentioned that it was... Um, one guy named David G said it was creatively bland and messy. Um, they kept pointing out things like they thought the characters were very thin. Um, someone mentioned that it has a pandering narrative. Um, a lot of people said that it scared them, that the the visuals <laughs> scared them a lot, which, like someone said, it was nightmarish. One lady just said, it scared the beepers out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can I five-star that review? By yes. golly. <laughs> the beepers. The beepers. Um, which I was just like, I had to write that down. I was like, oh, ma'am. I feel like that should be our new, like, rating horror system. Like, did it scare one beeper out of you? How many beepers <laughs> did scare all of them? Every single beeper was gone. Um, so that was also a common thread, which I feel like when we talk about kids' movies, a lot of the kids' movies we love have very scary, nightmarish type visuals that have stuck with us, which we've definitely delved into already. Um... So it felt it felt kind of mixed. People definitely mentioned the behind the scenes problems. So now that you mentioned that, I'm happy that kind of comes into it also. Um, but yeah, like I think you kind of like mentioned it a little bit, but it was felt very mixed. A lot of people kind of agreeing that the story wasn't great, but they love it because they grew up on it. Um, so just like watching movies when you're older that like you grew up on and how that affects you and if it changes your opinions on them and stuff is kind of interesting. So. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I'm, I'm glad that yeah, some of the stuff is going to be fun to talk about. I think. Oh yeah, and uh, the fact that the character there's one reviewer said the characters were a little bit thin. Yes. Um, Roger Ebert declared Nemo uh, as having the IQ of an eggplant, which I thought was a great line. <laughs> Wait, if you watch Courage the Cowardly Dog, those eggplants are taking over the world, so true. he better watch his mouth. So he Hell clearly yeah. was not an intelligent eggplant. I would agree. Nemo is not the most compelling character. Mm. He um, is not. So I'm going to th- turn it over to Connor. Uh, just, but yeah, what were your impressions of watching this movie, having never seen it before? Yeah, so I've never heard of this movie, never seen it before. At first I thought Christine said uh, that this is Little Nemo Adventures in Slumland. It is Slumberland. <laughs> but it's Slumberland. Um, this is just a strange movie. But it wasn't strange in like it was a fun movie to watch. <laughs> this movie was such a, a, a chore to watch oh, no. in a lot of ways. I mean, if you want to watch it super easy, it's on YouTube. Like, so it's oh, super nice. accessible oh, really? to watch. Yeah, yeah just, just Google Little Nemo. It's, you, can, you could pull it up on your phones right now. 
while listening. <laughs> Here's the I'm thing: you might say you guys track. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you might say it's crazy, but anything that's free is for me. I gotta say, true. Um, I would agree that uh, the visuals are definitely kind of what like kept me engaged with the film. I thought the animation was great. Although after watching the Miyazaki pilot, um, it really made me not like this movie even more because mm. of what it could have been. Because you can't compete with Miyazaki, really. Mm. You really yeah, can't. Yeah, that's true. Because so the sequence we watched, uh, what the pilot was, and this is how the movie opens. Uh, the movie opens with like Nemo laying in his bed. It's nighttime. You see, like, there's propeller planes around. This is what, 1910? Yeah, nine, yeah, 19. I think 1911 19. was the year I saw for when I guess the the written version of it came out. Uh, McKay's yeah. uh, comic strip. Yeah, so we're talking like, 19 teens. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so early 20th century, you see, like, little, like, model planes and whatnot around and then his bed starts to levitate and then he tries to like figure out how to fly it and it's very like whimsical of him like flying through like um, new york flying in clouds flying ground there's like this weird like water area that makes so much more sense in the pilot because he's like oh like oceans are coming in and he's like going through waves nope it's just like a puddle that like a giant puddle that he goes into and doesn't make any sense Sam still has questions (laughs) i do but i also i that scene where they're in like the water and mm. the buildings or whatever. It looks cool. It looks cool, but it also weirdly reminds me of Inception in like the oh, last weird. level that he makes with his wife. And oh, there is yeah. an Inception scene when he's walking into the castle with Flip and the whole castle's upside down. They're walking yeah. on this oh, long oh. hallway. Yeah. Oh man, another God. crossover. Wow. Layers. Much we have to go deeper. Go Slumberland. <laughs> deeper you, this Slumberland. is a movie that Christopher Nolan probably watched as a child. Um, Probably. So the opening definitely. Or as a teenager, I don't know, however old he is. <laughs> He's like in his what, late forties. Okay, fine. As like know. a young professional. <laughs> Sorry, as a going. person, as a person alive with a pulse. <laughs> Um, and so like that, like the whimsy of, oh, a boy is dreaming. He's flying around. And then he kind of goes into this vortex and is in like nightmare land where it looks like a nuclear bomb was dropped in New York. Like all the buildings are falling apart and whatnot. So like that part really got me into the movie. And then it just becomes the most. <sighs> the like stereotypical kind of like boy it's like dad i want to do this i want to go to the circus and dad's like maybe tomorrow you always say tomorrow i'll promise you tomorrow dad goes away he's like i want to go to the circus and then he falls asleep like goes to bed <laughs> at night wait is that literally what it is because that's a great scam i'll <laughs> promise you tomorrow and then the boy and nemo, and nemo said <laughs> Um, <laughs> gonna write that down yeah, for yeah. a few Gotta dreams. Remember that one. <laughs> Way to, ways to get out of easy situations. <laughs> um, so Nemo's like angry with his dad. He goes to bed at night. It's not. Sometimes it turns night. Um, and then he like the, this professor guy comes in through a portal in his bedroom window. It's like I'm Professor Genius. Come with me to Wait, Slumberland. Is his name really Professor it's genius? a great line. He goes, "Hi, I am a genius." No, he goes, "Hi, I am a professor." I am also a genius. You may call me Professor Genius, which is a great jump in logic. Like, like this is clearly uh, okay. just figments of his dreams. So obviously in your dream, you're going to be like, yeah, this this random guy with a handlebar mustache. Hi, I'm is a, a doctor d- and I'm qualified. You may call me Dr. Qualified. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then uh, he comes to Nemo because uh, he has been summoned by the princess to become her, her playmate because well, the princess is, is lonely. What was her name? I don't even. Uh, well, her name is dirty uh, already. Her name is um, Camille. Oh, Princess I don't like that name. Can we Camille. give her a different one? Princess. Um, we got. We got Nightmare Princess Goop. C. There it is. Okay. <laughs> is <that better>? Princess. <laughs> Just Princess. Cammy. 
Princess. All right, I'm Princess Camisol. <laughs> <laughs> All right, continue, Connor. So the princess is summoning Nemo to come to Slumberland to be her playmate because she's lonely? Yes. Yeah, yeah, she... Okay, I have a question for you, Connor. Do you think that a movie about dreams needs to have continuity? Hmm. But this movie wanted to be like a typical Disney fun adventure. And it also wanted to be this like... I feel like if it went in the abstract direction... Of like, is this reality? Isn't this reality? It's like, oh, Nemo, I'm in Slumberland. I'm going to be this person. I Okay, I definitely agree with you that it needed to pick whether it was going to be extremely, like a, a extreme abstraction of dreams and sequences or if it was going to be a tight narrative. Yeah, he's invited by the princess to go to Slumberland to hang out with her. To chill. To chill. Um, but yeah, and that's what he, that's what he does. I mean, do you think, I guess, what were your, what, what would you have wished could have been achieved through this movie? Or what were you longing for? Oh, that's a great question. So the beginning sets up this kind of like, not everything is as it seems. The bed is flying. You know, this is, you know, we're going through portals. There's like this apocalyptic hair. Dan, I have questions. And I guess I just wish it was more As genius. <laughs> more fantastical. Mm. It's like he's transported to like mid 1800s like European court. Yeah, I mean, oh god, Slumberland is amazing. It's got like bright pastels, bouncy balls, animals, sign um, me up. Trumpets, yeah. Trump- trumpets. Yes, trumpets, yes. um Elizabethan collars. Giant mushrooms. It's a whole conglomeration of different periods yes, of history. But the giant mushrooms will scare me. Uh, giant mushrooms scare you a little bit. Like how giant are we talking? Tell me. Like like people sized. How giant of a mushroom are you afraid of? Yeah, like (laughs) what kind of mushrooms have you interacted with? All of them. (laughs) All of them. Okay, you have questions about Mm. the bed. I have questions about you and mushrooms. (laughs) We'll figure it out later. So I guess I wish wish that this movie, like the fantastical elements, are there, but so often they're just in the background Mm. because the main driving force of this movie is that King Morpheus is just going to ignore his daughter and crown Nemo king of Slumberland. Oh, yes. that Slumberland. It's, it's no. really fucked up. So he's like, Nemo, I'm so happy you're here because I need to give, I need to like pass down this crown to you. And it's like, um, Princess Camille is here. Why can't it go to her? Uh, Princess Cammy. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that was definitely a big like, Re- returning to this movie being like mm, uh that's not great <laughs> immediate red flag. i will i will propose one um feminist interpretation of <laughs> princess camille so there's mm-hmm. this wonderful scene as nemo first of all nemo is being invited to be her playmate which is pretty legit it's just like the princess has like her big palace she is with in slumberland and she invites Nemo on this adventure through Slumberland where they are bouncing naked through puffballs and they are like there are these depictions of yep. like wait these, they're naked they are their clothes are down like f- cascading down this like mushroom thing flower the, the big mushroom yes and See? there it is it's naked this children weird, mushrooms weird, no. like kind of trippy scene but it's like it and it's we're, yeah, looking at it, it's like pretty. It's a pretty like weirdly sexual scene, but it's like she is inviting him into her space and being like, 
this is my land. This is my world. Um, like I have invited you here and this is the way it is. And so I thought that's a way that she creates a sense of like control and power over her own environment. And then like, fuck yeah. Fuck King Morpheus. Cause and she demanded a playmate. I mean, she went there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all like what? Nine. Okay. Ten. Don't, uh, you don't have to put ages on these <laughs> characters. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is definitely uh, a little bit questionable, but that's, that's the only, <laughs> that's the only thing I'll say for princess Camille. Um, Go ahead, Sam. Hmm. Christine, I, I keep thinking about your question. Does a movie that's like a dream sequence or whatever about based on a dream, does it have to be logical? And I think that's like a really fun question. Because like how many movies have you seen that are based like around dreams? I can't think of that many. But one... I don't know. In my head, all I can think of is the Nemo trailer we just watched <laughs> with the Inception Hans Zimmer score. Like no. just like, over it. <laughs> Ooh, that's incredible. Yeah. But I was thinking of the movie It Follows, and I don't necessarily think that that's supposed to be like a dream sequence. However, there's sort of like dream-like qualities and consistencies. And like, it's so disorienting, but it it works so Like the reality of things and yeah. yeah. It almost feels like it's in the 80s, but then you see that girl with like the seashell phone. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, Right, give me that phone. Well, that for me is like one thing where I've never seen the middle ground navigated all that successfully. Like if it's going to be an abstract cinematic interpretation of a dream world or uh, some other plane that's more imaginative and more uh, free form or uh, disassociative, then I've seen that in things like maybe like inception or like, uh, or what dreams may come. And I'm like those of Dr. Parnassus. That one too. Also? Yeah. That yeah. reminds me of that too, where it's like, these are all things that are rooted in like a structural and linear plot. But yeah. The push and pull between the two is so mm. so tenuous that it makes the film, I don't know, uncomfortable. Or at least that's my experiences with those films where, like, there are really abstract cinematic elements that are being explored really successfully that are being dampened by the, like, almost literal linear plot demand of, like, okay, that's great, but we got to move forward and, like, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I guess it's hard to find that good, like, yeah. how do you make that work? Because I, everyone kind of uh, feels like they need that. I think one that actually did it really well might be um, uh, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which is mm-hmm. a, a film about a, um, a man who was a magazine exec who was uh, was paralyzed um and Wasn't had locked in syndrome. Yeah. So he was basically physically paralyzed, um, but was able to, was fully conscious and cognizant and was able to create a system with uh, the nurses that, and doctors that worked with him that he could communicate his thoughts through blinks uh, using the alphabet and was therefore able to like explain things. But like while paralyzed, explored uh, sort of accentuated memory fragments and things like that that became like hmm. different cinematic handlings of like retrieved memory and relived memory that was really, really elegant and really great. Um, and while piecing together the story of what happened to him. Right, yeah. right. Um, so that one did it really expertly, but I think that's the only example I can think of where those two hmm. kind of loftier, where, where you can take a lofty interpretation of a dream or fantasy world and project it onto a forward-moving narrative. Or maybe Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I was thinking Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe that, too. Maybe that. I think with... I think Nemo just needed to be a stronger character. I think like going back to Roger Ebert's quote of like, he has the IQ of an eggplant. I think the idea of like, what is motivating him through the movie? Like he's a very passive protagonist until 
Morpheus gets captured, but it feels like like what's propelling Nemo? He's just he's just there to have a good time. He's like, I'm asleep. I want to go to the circus. I'm just in dreamland. Yeah, like, just- does he have stakes in this really? Who knows? I it's I kind of liked him as this very one dimensional character. It was like I I sort of I don't know. I thought that was kind of a nice, refreshing way to see just this like young boy in his dream he's like man i'm just gonna go over here and i'm gonna go here and it's like the princess who's very comfortable with herself and is like like has her shit together and nemo's kind of just like i'm just gonna bounce along maybe that's like the way that well i think what i was when i was watching this movie i was thinking the fact that it's a dream doesn't really matter he could have been teleported to another dimension sent to another planet like the fact that he is in a dreamland Aside from the fact that things are labeled nightmare or thing like I felt like like it, it's as if he could be in another world, not necessarily in his own subconscious. And that's where it reminds me actually a lot of Fern Gully in a sense oh. is like he's a character who's introduced to this world that's understood by mm. um, the, this uh, this other character who's sort of introducing them along the way. Wait, yeah. say that again. Like fish out of water. Yeah, just sort of like a oh, experiencing everything, but with like, but with an established guide who's mm. very informed. Yeah, about like you're all just of kind it. of a guest. Yeah, guest in, yeah. in his own world. In what were you trying to say, Sam? Yeah. No, I was just trying to think of like the message. You said that there was like a what did the the review say about the message? What was it? Um, I mean, it was like a lot of just like it was lacking story and stuff. Or you mean like the message as far as like... Like the moral? Yeah. What was it? It's this odd sort of what should be the education. Or it's, 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 I think it's like this kid figuring out all of these sort of competing sort of it was morality tales. He has this whole uh, sequence of like the etiquette song. Like this is how you must be. Uh, polite and learn how to do your studies. And then he has, I think it's just this whole weird process of like, I don't know. It, it, how do you save a kingdom? Like, how do you, right? I think that's what I was trying to go for. Because yeah. he has to, so basically Morpheus is then training Nemo to become the prince. Which is insulting. If they're saying he has the intelligence of an eggplant, and you're going <laughs> to pick him over the princess camisol here like yeah. i can't even imagine an analog for that but it's his dream so he obviously is gonna think better of himself no, that's also i guess yeah like from the perspective of this is his dream like yeah that makes sense then yeah because mm, maybe the message is horrible dream sounds like nemo's gonna grow up to someone i hate <laughs> someone we see all too uh-huh. often I will say the one thing, I mean, so as a child, I watched this movie a lot and rewatching it, I felt the movement of every character. I could feel, like, hear the songs and being like, oh, I loved this song, I loved this scene, and I could see the characters moving with one another. There's an overly extended scene where King Morpheus is bouncing around and dancing at his own party. Didn't oh, they hire the great, London yeah. Symphony to? They hired the London <laughs> the Symphony to do the music. Know. They also hired a choreographer who did a lot of Michael Jackson's choreography to to choreograph pieces that his sidekick characters would do throughout the movie. Right. And then the animators rendered those moves and dance moves. And that was something I distinctly remembered watching about this movie, hmm. the bouncing characters and everyone just seemed to ha- seeming to have a great time. And then the nightmare land being ex- like a s- 
space of extreme anxiety and tension and um, goop everywhere and it really being ca like causing me to really be scared in moments. Um, and I like would open it up to the group. Can you think of like movies or scenes that like from childhood you could like really feel or really like be with like of movies that you loved like as a kid? I mean, I think Fern Gully was definitely was, one of those yeah. for me. Yeah, like, it's like, you just know all the things that are going to happen. Do like, you you're think, so... Yeah. Yeah. It's just ingrained after a while. Do you think that, ki like, a kid in an, a very unique way can experience a movie like an adult cannot? Oh, totally. I mean, there's a big difference between when I was watching a movie as, like, a kid and then watching a movie now as somebody who's, like way more analytical about plot structure animation style where directing. a kid can just like pick up on something random and like say this like super insightful thing that like you would never think of you know yeah exactly mm -hmm. like yeah. there's just, there's less um clutter when a kid watches a movie yeah. i think in their own brain um christine what do you think the intention of this film was because i think it was really cool how it was designed as this like japanese american kind of like hybrid project so what do you think the creators of Little Nemo were trying to kind of get across to the kids who are watching this movie. I mean, I think they were trying to capture the essence of the original comic that was really heralded as being uh, this big um, innovation in comics. Mm -hmm. um, if you look up some of his comic, like brilliant colors, like whole universe scapes. I think they were trying to capture that kind of atmospheric dreamlike quality of the original comic strip. Was that maybe more important than story? Uh but I don't know if looking mm -hmm. back as an adult watcher, I don't know if the movie actually successfully captured yeah. that. Um, so I don't think the movie is plot driven and necessarily needed to be plot driven, but it didn't go far enough, like as far as its animation. Hmm. What's also, I think, and what Tori brought up in those, uh, the Roger Ebert review is I think that it also was too tethered to, Characters in Windsor McKay's original comic that were racist caricatures mm. um, and that you see that in the character of Flip trying to fight his like blackface origins. Yeah. So like mm. um, just to pull that quote that uh, Tori was talking about, Ebert says that the same pattern was like, yeah, as she mentioned, identifying the villains by their darker complexions and the character of flip, the cigar smoking crony and fixer seems just this side of a minstrel show character. Hmm. Um, and so I think when you ask like, what is the message of the movie? You have intention and then what actually results. Uh, and I, I ask this question about how kids internalize movies because we think about, what responsibility do animators and movie creators have in the characters that they develop and the stories that they develop? If a kid is like watching this and being like, oh my God, I love this movie and oh, reacting in also similar ways to the villains, what are they responding to and how do mm. the depictions of villains that kids internalized, or at least I know I internalized deeply in movies that I watched, like how does that inform mm. what kids grow up understanding and like what thought needs to or does go into like animated 
animated movies. It's kind of funny, too, just thinking about, like, because I still like watching animated movies that are coming out now, which I think a lot of us can agree on with, like, being yeah. interested in, like, different, like, Pixar and Disney stuff that comes out. But, um, like, hearing some of the stuff, like, my little sister is really attached to, like, she loved that Trolls movie that came out. And I was like... <laughs> This looks dumb as fuck. <laughs> but, like, she would sing the songs all the time, and then other people were like, no, it's actually really good. And I, would, like, just didn't get why. So it's, like, I don't know if I will ever totally understand why she felt that connection, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to, like, you know, yeah. pull that out either. It's yeah. interesting, like, just what kids attach to. There is a nice mystery to, like, yeah, what a kid will like. Yeah. And, like, adults... Who are, I mean, all of these reviews are written by adults and yeah. they have experience in film critique and can, or I mean. I would love to read kid reviews. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to say, like, you know, why don't we hear more often from critics of like where that movie is supposed to, to lean to, mm -hmm. like the target audience? How often do we hear that? Yeah, I mean, why, why wouldn't. Kids should just start writing movie reviews. Yeah. Like, I, I want to know. Them. Yeah. Even if it's just like, I liked this movie. I'm like, cool. I like Great. the color green. The main character wore a green jacket. Yeah. Like stuff like that. But that's I'm like, valid. True. Like, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'd feel much better about movie reviews if they were written that way for the most part. Yeah. Same. And you're like, you know what? I liked that too. Yeah. Right there on. are so many crazy critical things I could say, but yeah, I fucking like that green jacket. Michael Bay's Ninja Turtle adaptation. Yeah, it was a mess, but I do like turtles. You're right. And pizza's cool, right? Yeah. Hmm. I think we've defined a whole new way of uh, reviewing and yeah. analyzing movies. I think we've come up with a new segment. I think oh. it's great. Ways to interpret movies. Um, uh, any, uh, any last thoughts? I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, I know, yeah. Hey, if it's free on YouTube, maybe I'll re keep returning back to Nemo. But it was an interesting adventure through my own memory and mm. Slumberland to review, see this movie again, review it. Um, I think one last thing I wanted to bring up was I thought it was really interesting, kind of two things, how this movie was like a total flop. It only made $11 million really? in Japan and America. Mm. Oh, wow. Like, total. That's abysmal. That's weird. Yep. Mm. Um, and that for America, they actually cut 10 minutes out of the movie to mm. kind of eliminate some of the more sexual elements. Because, you know, Japanese culture is different than American culture and mm. sensibilities and acceptance of different um, things with the human body. They still with the mushroom. We don't need those tombs doing nothing. Well, I'm not, I don't know what they edited, but I just think it was interesting also to think about how, like... It still is one of my favorite sequences, so let's look up that part. <laughs> it is Sorry. really good. Continue, yeah. Connor. It is, a, it is a cool sequence. They, like, have, like, giant, like, dandelion puffs around them. It's interesting. Yeah. But I just, I just think... It sounds very Fantasia-esque, the way, like, that is described. I think it was, like, it more yeah. Fantasia. I might have liked it better. Just the idea of, like, this is, like, kind of fantastical, it's heightened, mm. instead of, like, this heightened world with, like, nuts and bolts plot. Yeah. No, so it was interesting that they cut um, some of the runtime for the American version. And mm. I wondered how that affected how kids saw the movie. Like, you saw, like you probably saw that shortened version and then later on maybe saw the longer version. It's just mm. interesting to think of, like, how even different countries can edit what kids see. Yeah. Let well, alone what the artist's intention was. Yeah. I feel like my feminist interpretation is deflated because I remind myself that it's actually the construct of the kid Nemo's brain and not Princess Camille's brain. And so you're like, well, fuck, it doesn't oh, matter. Fuck that. But whatever. Fuck yourself, little Nemo. Oh, yeah. Love the IQ of an eggplant. <laughs> That's the takeaway from this. Doing a disservice to all eggplants across the world. <laughs> um, 
on that also, note. Also, does that mean that Roger Ebert just like hates eggplants? Like what? Oh yeah, what yeah. is his deal with I want to know how he rates the, the, um, the level of intelligence <laughs> of vegetables. <laughs> Ooh, you mean what hill Parmesan? Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Do you oh. Think maybe chicken is a middle ground, but oh, eggplant, two thumbs down. All the way. Do you think he reviewed a VeggieTales movie? Oh, and he was like, oh, don't even villains. get me started on that bullshit. No. No, fuck Join us next month with VeggieTales. <laughs> VeggieTales is the worst shit. And evangelical cartoons. Story hates on VeggieTales. Oh, because I remember like going to my aunt's house who like had this like kind of veiled religious stuff and I would like sleep over and they'd put on VeggieTales. I'm like, I know what you're trying to fucking do and it's not working. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Wonder Rose. <laughs> mm. oh. yeah, that that bullshit. <laughs> this would be a great segment. Um, yeah. Tori gets pissed off about religious stuff. Yes. Or like those like movie, TV, subtle, uh, Ugh. proselytizing. Also, episodes. fuck you, Narnia, while we're at it. Mm. Yeah. Now, hold on. Some of those things are valid. I liked Narnia. I yeah, but it is like I, I, Christian you're also be bullshit. Lord of the Rings a little I'm bit. with you. Yeah, I'm with you. I know. If you're talking, yeah, we're talking Lewis, Tolkien, all of them. They were best the friends. Same. Their friendship makes my heart feel so warm. That is adorable. Yeah, they wrote each other in as characters. Well, anyway, more to the point. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like I was tricked by Narnia. <laughs> sure, you could feel that. Aslan. Yeah. The only Narnia to, to watch movie version is the BBC. Or like, oh, I thought you were going to say the third one. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. None of the remakes are good. You got to watch the original. Um, BBC always does it right. We're, <laughs> they were all right. The third one was not good. Is that Caspian? No. Chair? Silver? That was... The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Oh, Dawn Treader. Also, okay. those books just got boring after... Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> True. After one. <laughs> All right. On the note of how boring C.S. Lewis's yep. writing is, uh, we're going to ta- <laughs> take a break, and we'll be right back with you. And we are here and we are back with our last segment, uh, our whiteboard question. Uh, And that is today's whiteboard question. (laughs) That was just a sentence. No, that was nice emphasis. I I liked liked it. Uh, Anticipation is building. So today's question is what is the greatest animated villain? This was very difficult for me. This one's hard. Anyone have one they want to go with right now? And I wanted to ask, like, how would you define greatest? Okay. I have an answer. Um, And I bent the rules just a little bit, which is instead of just strictly doing animated, I extended to also just, like, illustrated. Perfect. And I went with a comic book villain, anti-hero, superhero, and I know this is going to be controversial, but I picked Magneto. And the reason why I picked Magneto is because when I hear great villain, my mind is, okay, 
what is a villain who can convince me of their thought process? And honestly, like I understand where Magneto's hatred of people is coming from because of everything that he experienced. Does he go about it in the right way? (laughs) No. But like at the core of his person, like I don't think that he's bad. Mm. I think that how he like tries to accomplish his goals, like trying to exterminate all people, you know, like that's not great. I love your interpretation of that. Also, I like, you know, we talked about this a little bit, I think before we're recording, but I like I can get on board with some Thanos shit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, he crossed a line yeah. when half of all animals went. Thin. Oh, that that was when I was like, hey, now. <laughs> half of all life. Half of all life. Yeah. Because, like, we can always use more dogs. But yeah. people, meh. Yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah, Magneto's really good. And, like, yeah, I wouldn't have thought about, like, illustrated stuff. But I think you're right. Like, I'm not a huge X-Men person, but... Those two characters, like him and um, Professor X, like always intrigued me and how there is like some middle ground there. And then like they're yin and yang. Yeah. It's so, mm-hmm. yeah, they do a great job with it. Yeah. That was cool. I think my thought process is kind of similar of what makes like a great villain is like understanding their ideals. And I also really love when a villain kind of like turns around to either become like an anti-hero who kind of assists once in a while, which like Magneto does from yeah, time to mm-hmm. time, or like when a villain kind of like makes a full turn into being kind of like one of the team. And my mind kind of instantly went to Vegeta from the Dragon Ball Z series. <laughs> uh, oh, that's um, yeah, that's good. Dragon Ball's, you know, that whole franchise Hell is so yeah. incredibly important um, to me as like not just like in an- terms of animation, but just in terms of like what quality storytelling with amazing action could be. As long um, as you're willing to accept like seven episodes of nothing happening and people powering up. Oh my god! <laughs> well, that's why Dragon Ball Z we Kai exists. We sat through that so much. <laughs> um, and I think because his motivations are like super clear in the beginning of how he was like the prince of this like race of super powerful people, um, this race that believes that like raw numbers of like what somebody's power is determined means that's how strong they are. And Goku, who's like the you know the lead of the series, um, is a low like a lowborn. But yet he ends up kicking Vegeta's ass and really shatters Vegeta's worldview. And you really get a great glimpse into what happens once somebody's worldview is just like totally decimated. Mm, And as the series went on, he went on to becoming like sort of Goku's like main ally, but always kind of dating Bulma. He dates Bulma. Uh, And he's but he's always kind of just like one step behind. So there's always this great kind of like antagonistic relationship between the two of them, even though Vegeta's like, okay, I shouldn't try to blow up Earth. I should. Hmm. help Goku and Earth people. But he'll always, like, get a chance to just, like, knock the, you know, beat the shit mm-hmm. out of Goku when he can. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, Vegeta definitely, uh, my mind always goes to, is, like, a great villain. That reminds me of Avatar a little bit, too. The mm-hmm. Zuko. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was, like, an interesting transformation. Cool. In way less episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, much which more also, efficient. Also, that's just so many of those things. Like, I was trying to rewatch Sailor Moon lately, like, recently, and Ooh, I was like, tuxedo wow. Mask. Hmm. Tuxedo Mask is, is get the best. But you have to get through so many episodes <laughs> of the do. same, like, thing <laughs> to get to 
the like what's actually going on, like mm. to get to the meat of it, which is interesting. And then they just uh, they do Sailor Moon Crystal now. Is that the new one that came out a couple years ago? And it's the same story, but uh, a lot of that is cut out, and it goes very quickly. We were like, oh, now there are five Sailor Scouts all together, as opposed to like there's one for like twenty episodes, and then there's two for twenty episodes, and it just <laughs> keeps going like that. Yeah, they did the same thing with yeah. uh, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z Kai, which mm-hmm. just like cuts out all that filler. Yep. But sometimes I like the filler. Yeah. So I'm a little yeah, torn. It's about like, world building. But like, you know. True. Balance it out. There just need to be five episodes of Krillin and Bulma trying to like get their submarine or spaceship or whatever is <laughs> going on on Planet Namek. Anyway, that's so Vegeta. That's my answer. Wait, Word. there's this post online that's like, Mer- Merci Goku. And so I thought that about that the entire time I think we were I talking. saw that recently too. Merci Goku. I laughed way harder than I should have at that. <laughs> Um, cool. So, uh, for me, when I was thinking about villains, I was thinking just about, like, charismatic villains, um, was, like, where I was going with it. Um, which I only had two names written down, and I was kind of going back and forth between them, because one of them was Ursula, who Mm, I really do like Ursula Mm. a lot. Yes. But I ended up going with Jafar. Yes! Mm. I think Jafar is such a great fucking villain. Um, I mean, you know, his whole motivation is power, which is, like, fine, but he... He's so funny, and, like, especially at the end, watching him go through the different transformations of being, like, a snake and a god and all this stuff. I think he's so cool. He's my favorite. And also, like, Aladdin in general is one of my favorites, but, um, yeah, that's just super good. He's got that staff that hypnotizes people. It's great. voice? Or who played it? Oh, I forget. Is there a famous guy who did Jafar? I'll give it a quick Google. But also, can we talk about that his fucking parrot's name is Iago? Mm-hmm. Like, that's so... I know that a lot of Disney movies reference Shakespeare, but, like, yes. Also, there are those biscuits Hamlet, in that right? movie, you uh, know, that Othello. he eats. Othello. Oh, you're right. Fuck. Hamlet is Lion King. I'm sorry, what? He always feeds those biscuits to him, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. I always just want to know what those biscuits taste like. Oh, Yeah. Another thing about like how intensely you feel animated, like if you think about, we, oh, were talking, we food, might have been man. talking about food in animation like Maybe. in a previous episode, but like Recently, yeah. watching characters eat food and being yes. like, I taste that food. I can, mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. The, the biscuits and Pocahontas. Mm. And Miko Just, is like, stealing the, them from John Smith. The crumbs and the, yeah. I'm going to talk about that. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Jafar. Uh, Jonathan Freeman. Oh. Okay. Who's just kind of been this like, voice actor he's like in hercules the he's tv show because yeah i distinctly yeah. remember that voice he was in some law and order oh, actually hades is pretty good too and yeah. he voices jafar oh my god he's so fun wait a minute though who That's james is... woods yeah no mm. fuck him yeah he gross dave do you have a oh villain? maleficent the oh, original. Yes. But before, but before, angelina uh, jolie angelina. no no before she took the reins and she became a and like weirdly empathetic character, like the perfect iteration was the first one, where like this would shock even like Jafar or like any like motivated, personally like vin- vindictive villain, or like it's kind of like the countenance Sam to what you were talking about, where like it's a villain's uh, point of view that is justifiable uh, as almost the countenance to their actions. Uh, Maleficent's the perfect counterexample to that, which yeah. like I think would impress every other villain, which is like. Oh, you weren't. You didn't invite me into this party. Your kids fucked. Your castle's <laughs> fucked. That's it. I'm gonna turn into a dragon at the end of this. It's gonna get really serious because I didn't. I just didn't get an invite to this thing. We all know someone like that. Probably wouldn't have come anyway. <laughs> but, but just like on principle of just like a 
something that relatively petty that winds up being the motivating antagonistic <laughs> yeah. force of the story. And you're like, I'm going to burn it to the ground. Thumbs yeah. up. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love a backstory for a villain, I also like despise a backstory. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really good example. So I don't really need that. Yeah. I feel like uh, I had two in mind. Uh, my villain, one villain is from my fave... Basil Baker Street, the great mouse detective. Radigan, he also is sort of this sort of charismatic figure, and he is motivated primarily just getting back at Basil. And Basil, in fact, is a detective who is not motivated by, like, bestowing good upon, like, mouse-dumb. It's really also (laughs) just getting back at Radigan, and they've got this just great chemistry, and Radigan's voiced by Vincent Price, which is pretty legit. He's the Dr. Moriarty. Um, Yeah, so he's the the Moriarty figure, and I I find those characters amazing. Um, And he's trying to take down the monarchy and, like, cat or in mouse uh you know mouse, mouse world dumb again. Mm-hmm. take that mice but exactly <laughs> burn mouse dumb to the ground but another character i thought of um not wouldn't be characterized so much as a villain but somewhat of an, an antagonist in a character uh watching nemo got me thinking about Miyaza- actual miyazaki movies that i love and spirited away and yeah. the character of no face yeah um, which Ooh, is yeah. great because no face it basically takes on the characterist like sort of these the like negative characteristics of like its environment and like the greedy frog mm. he starts consuming witnessing like aspects of like greed and things that he sees around him but then ultimately ends up i mean chihiro ends up like being with him or being with no fa- i don't like no face as a character and sitting with no face on the train by the end of the movie. It's just a great way to think about an antagonist character basically representing like the sort of negative characteristics that it witnesses and that sees already pre-existing, not like imposing that into a story. So more an amalgamated affect of its environment. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, So uh, interesting thing to think about how stories depict, um, villains or antagonists yeah. and, and what it says about the story. Um, sweet. Wow. We cover a lot. Uh, any final announcements, thoughts, musings? <laughs> uh, no God. musings right now, but no thoughts ever for me. Have we thought it out? No, 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 it's getting no, taken. Keep talking, keep talking, so it's, it's really hard to edit. Um, oh, I can't edit that out. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have another five minutes of us just laughing. Yep. Should we just burn it down? Yes. Okay, burn always, it. everything. Yes. All right. And now, our full length analysis of Summer of My Monkey. <laughs> Who's the villain? We're gonna the- all have to watch that. We're, yeah. That has to be an episode. We're gonna have to. It's gonna be an episode. It has to. Oh man, I'm gonna get I'm drunk so as fuck <laughs> and watch that movie. I'm sure there's a it's drinking game. It's gonna be such a letdown, I promise. Most of the previous episode is us laughing at Summer of My Monkey. Uh-huh. But it's not even my monkey. <laughs> it's not the title. It's not. Summer I wish it was so the monkeys. much, though. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it makes a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> but monkey. there are two monkeys in the trailer. 
There are more than there are more. uh, I'm actually I've decided on time I'm going to spend this week rewatching Summer of the Monkeys and seeing (laughs) and also having this new relationship with that movie. I think that would be a great movie to just get really drunk to and just talk through. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that'll be our first commentary. Our our riffing. (laughs) Riffing. It will be a letdown. I can assure you. Oh, not with this. I don't know about that. (laughs) Hence the heavy drinking while we watch it, and it's going to be great. I think that's a good All note right. to yep. end on. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. We're Summer of My Monkey. Or Dave's going to have to write it. <laughs> the new version. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, also my cool one that. single monkey. <laughs> and why it's possessive, I don't know. <laughs> so. But we need to know what that story is. <laughs> there's, a great, there's a great story in there. Yeah. Hmm. Does anyone have anything to plug before we go? You all look at me. Like, eh. Tori, do you want to say the thing? <laughs> I will say the thing that I that I also do. Uh, so uh, I have a monthly horror movie night, Chill and Kill Horror. Uh, I host it at Century Bar. It's the first Sunday of every month. Like I said, this last one went really good. Uh, but I decided for December we are going to do Black Christmas, which is a really good like seventies, um, just like kind of slasher movie. That's pretty dope. Um, I wanted to do something weird and Christmassy, and there we go. There were other ones that were up there, but um, don't say it. Don't you fucking for, say for it. For other reasons. I'm looking at you, uh, and I. That was never an option, Connor. <laughs> never. Don't. Grapples. Anyway. I'm at my limit. Don't watch uh, it. Don't watch it. I think I'm going to make don't think uh, it, don't say some, it, don't think some it, don't homemade say sugar it. cookies for that night. Oh. So I think it's going to be cute and fun and creepy. I so. wish I could go. Yeah. Um, also, please follow Butter With That on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Ooh. Also, please like leave us a review on iTunes. We love reading those because we want to know how um, how much you're liking the podcast, how much you're disliking the podcast, what we can do better. What we, we need can... to know what to rant about. Yeah, I, true. Yeah. true, true, true. More or less Veggie Tales. Oh, man. Oh, God. <laughs> do you want a whole episode devoted Sorry, just to Twilight? Sorry, Tales fans that are out there. <laughs> All one of them. <laughs> All one of them. <laughs> when I went on a service trip to uh, South Dakota in high school, uh, Veggie Tales were the only DVDs that were inside the church basement we were staying in. <laughs> it's a surprise. Creepy as no fuck. One. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. And uh, stay tuned for next episode. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs>